Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Flubman11, and today we are talking the Super Sebring Weekend from like three weeks ago. Joining me, I have one of the attendees of the Super Sebring Weekend from like three weeks ago, Cookie Monster FL. Hello, Cookie. Welcome back to Almost Civilization. Hello, I am Cookie Monster. How are you, Flubman? I am still waking up to be honest but we're, we're gonna do it we're gonna do it anyway yeah. i'm relearning social cues and how to how to be cordial again so yep. sebring's finally wearing wearing off so this becomes a, a whole bonnaroo music esque festival so you kind of like learn like just to communicate via short sentences and kind of with pointing at cups of alcohol <laughs> yep um, that sounds amazing uh, yep. so because you were camping at the weekend there weren't you Correct. So it is how you normally camp. I I I I, I, I scoff at people that Airbnb there. Oh, would, I'm sorry. I apologize to all all the people that listen to that Airbnb at Sebring, but I don't think there's a lot of them. Why? Okay, this is the thing that annoys me with people who well, not annoys me, but like part of the the Bathurst experience for me as well is going there and camping and being on top of the mountain in a tent and you know doing it like not the hard way, but like the medium way. So yeah, I I agree with you. If you're not if you're not you know covered in dirt, climbing into a sleeping bag, having barbecued meat, <laughs> miscellaneous barbecued meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you're just not doing yep. not doing a race weekend right, especially when you're camping. Right. Yeah. I mean, you literally have to leave there feeling like you need a vacation from the vacation <laughs> that you just had. Yeah, I think that's a that's an apt way to have it. That's that's when you know you've had a successful sleep. Yeah, exactly right. How how is the camping at Sebring? Is it as wild as people say it is? Yes, one hundred percent. Brilliant. Uh, yes. Your your tent got featured on some TV thing, didn't it, or YouTube thing? Uh, it did. It did uh, with uh, with Tommy Kendall and uh, and uh, who's that? Derek Belson. Um. Uh. <laughs> Yes, it it's a running joke. Yeah, no, it's just it's Justin Bell. Oh, Justin, Justin Bell. Bell. Sorry, but the running joke is that we you just call him Derek Bell's son. Yep, so just yep. to annoy him, uh, I believe what is the 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 show's called Torque Show. Yep. So yeah, it's uh it's like some it's in it's some quasi web slash like kind of app series that I think Motor Trend sponsors it or it's it's sponsored by a bunch of. Uh, different companies but i don't know honestly what the medium is outside of facebook and youtube or uh, i'm not sure so they stopped by our campsite a couple times and critiqued my tent and talked to manny our uh our camp mascot so uh and and had took some interviews with a a couple campmates so that was a lot of fun a lot of fun had uh, had a a few good uh, jokes on their behalf and they shared some back at us and and on your behalf especially on your behalf it was... Right. Well, the Toyota flags are flying, so they they took a couple jabs at that. So <laughs> brilliant. But I, I was I was I was prepared. Did you did you have the WC theme playing from your campsite the entire weekend on roof? I did. Uh, I did not. This oh. this I I completely forgot to do that. However, literally, so there's one of the track uh, one of the corner workers, basically the head corner worker at turn ten. Uh, we had an agreement that I was allowed to wave the Toyota flags in earnest at the uh, warm-up laps and the first lap, but then I had to put them down because apparently race control was me- making a mention of my flag waving. Wow. So, yeah, so shout out to, I think it was Dave. He's a he- head corner worker at Turn 10. He apparently just goes everywhere around the, around the world. So he's at 
Lamont and all that stuff. And wow. He's done the Wow, that dude is awesome. So, you meet some really cool people marshalling some major events. I've already say that already, just even from my experiences marshalling that like I've met people who've done oh there was a guy I met last year at Adelaide who had done every single Australian Grand Prix from the first one in Adelaide and then all of the ones in Melbourne and all the ones in the Adelaide 500 for the V8s and then had also gone uh, to Singapore and to Korea to do the Formula 1 over there as well. So you're going to meet some really like cool people doing that sort of stuff. They all know things about the sport. I, I think it, it's almost kind of surprising too because you're at these tracks and assume that no one else knows enough things about the sport that you do or i mean not not necessarily from that aspect because that that sounds a little awful but i mean there there's definitely a a niche aspect to the sport where you kind of go into it knowing things there's not a whole lot of people that are just really green to it and i think that is stressed a lot at these tracks especially when you're in the infield and that there's just this massive amount there, there there aren't a lot of people there like as much as it is a party kind of atmosphere and there it's a spring break mecca and a bunch of high schoolers show up there like for all of those people there's you know there's three or four guys that are associated with those people that might be camping there that just know absolute uh, insane amounts of knowledge about race and it's awesome just to just meet these people and you're and all of a sudden you're like okay i guess we're just gonna have a conversation now about this random racing thing that yeah. like i just don't normally have ever in in a normal you know so like you just create your own world for a few days where you're just like yeah everything's I, normal racing I, is just like the, the the biggest thing i 100 percent agree with that i had a few instances of that at bathurst as well where you just like start talking about you could start from anything you could start from like one of these crappy little formula ford cars that's going around and then all of a sudden you're talking about the philosophies of prototype race engineering marketing and all that sort of stuff and it just goes goes wild doesn't it so how many people were camping at the at sebring that weekend because they look like a lot yeah there was a lot there was there was the most that i've seen there and i've been there since 2011 so uh, i mean again I, that's to be expected but just because of the you know you have more cars so yeah. there's just gonna be more people in general and <laughs> so so by that law you're you're expecting more but I, it was it was crazy um i, I I, I want to almost say I, I kind of expected that many people, and I think it was close to 200,000 was the attendance that they came up with. I don't, I don't know. I think it was guesstimated that it was close to what? Close Sorry? to close to 200,000. Wow. If not, over yeah, the whole so, weekend. Yeah, I believe over the whole weekend. So I don't think, I, I think if they would have hit 200,000, I think it would have been said somewhere. Maybe not said the total, but they would have been like, it was over 200,000, guys. Everything I've been hearing is that it was under 200,000. So, I mean, I would assume it's got to be close if you're going to say that. So, uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. And, um, it showed in the, in the camping areas there, it wasn't as crazy bad as people were making out to be for the infield. Yes. They had taken away spots in the green park, but I I don't think it did much. I think what it did do is it distracted the cops a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The, the cops, like the, the, the cop area was like right next to all the, uh, uh, all of that new area that you could buy, like merch. There's yep. there's a there's a little Caesar's pizza place you could just, just go out and order like you know ten inch pizzas. Nice. Just literally like just go walk out, hand them money, and they just give you like fresh re- fresh and ready pizzas. 
So you just saw just a bunch of drunk people eating pizzas and just discarded cardboard boxes in the morning. So, but uh, yeah, so I, beyond that, it, it really didn't affect, I don't think it affected it too much. There was just a lot of people. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was packed. It felt like it was a race day on Thursday afternoon, almost like it felt like a light race day, you know, back at what, 2013, 14, Jeez. maybe 13, something like that. On a race day, yeah. So that was that was alarming. <laughs> and then once Friday hit, it was just like you, you like the you had nowhere to park. Uh, somebody got towed in front of us because they blocked everybody else in because yeah. they I don't know why they decided to just sit there, but they decided to. And uh, so we just all had our like launchers out while they got their car towed. That so that was fun. Brilliant. But uh, yeah, I mean that was probably the main uh, annoyance was just the a level of vehicles, and it was just just choked every everywhere you went. And the main other thing was that you could do golf carts in around the entire Sebring. So because they put this new bridge in, they did this new green park area. They just started allowing golf carts because you wouldn't, you weren't allowed to before. It was only just motorized four wheel licensed vehicle. Yeah. You couldn't take motor, yeah, any, any of your own stuff or any rentals. So now you can. People are just tearing around all this stuff. Uh, buddy okay. of ours just got, hit, buddy of ours got hit by a custom one. So he had to take like his Mustang. He like basically stopped, dude. Rerends him, almost was about to like run off, and like basically like just cop like that was in front of them. Like saw it, just turned around and flipped his lights on. Wow, like, God, that's awful. Mm, yeah. So yeah, so just just like little stuff. It really though, it 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 is. Um, I don't know how they get away with it every year, and I I feel I feel bad for even describing this because I feel like I'm you know like. Because I'm telling people, I'm telling the world about this, like somebody's going to get angry about it and try yeah. to, you know, shut this down. Because it's just, it's great. It's it's like it's, it's just own a little uh, city. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, I, I, I've heard the Nürburgring 24 is similar to this. I've heard, you know, in some respects, Bathurst is a little bit. Uh, but it's 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 just a crazy crazy weekend. <laughs> and maybe Talladega and for NASCAR is probably the only thing that really just rivals it. So, wow. uh, which. That- that sounds nutty. Okay, so yeah, what what was your craziest camping experience over the weekend? Because last year you told us a few stories of like going to the shops and meeting like Derek Bell and stuff like that. So do you have anything up on that caliber this year? Um, damn, that's freaking still jealous about that. <laughs> no, I didn't. We didn't get to do anything. I mean, crazy. So we got. A buddy of mine is friends with um, a former, I believe, he, I believe he raced in Grand Am. He did a, some of the touring series for Grand Am back in the day. Uh, Todd Lamb. Okay, it's uh, not a name yeah, I so recognize. No, so he he is like, uh, so he's done a bunch of Mazda uh, MX5 Cup uh, races as well. He's done Conti GS and uh, ST. Okay. Uh, races. He's done Rolex GT. Uh, with the Mazda, so that was back in I think like 2000. Oh man, early 2000s. But he was racing in uh, the uh, uh, Michelin Pilot Sport Cup Challenge Series, whatever that is. Michelin Pilots. Yeah, that I yeah, think yeah. I think I actually said that right. Uh, <laughs> surprisingly, uh, he was racing. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. He was. I think he was racing a Honda. And uh, weirdly enough, we got uh, me and my buddy and a couple and a friend of ours got invited to meet him. So we got to go over by the car and, uh, and we basically got to go in the, in like the camper and all that stuff. So we got shirts and hats and stuff. So we were chatting with them and how he was doing. I think they qualified pretty well, but they had a few, 
hiccup problem during the race that so they unfortunately dropped off in their class. But that they were in the uh, TCR category, I think. So but that was really cool. I mean, he's uh, he was a former, uh, you know, I would say his career is studying a little bit. He's uh, he's like. 49 or he's 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 kind of older so this his career is kind of on the downturn but just to kind of meet a racer that's kind of you know in the middle of a huge huge race weekend that was that was pretty neat um got to visit the blue tape crew uh blue tape crew as usual um i really really wanted to put i and i i kind of feel bad because i had the opportunity to and i just didn't and I feel bad because I really want to tape up my car or the truck that I brought out. Uh, Large yeah. truck. So I could have just taped everything up. And I, I had some really good troll, like LMP1 to Daytona stuff. Like, oh, just like anti-DPI to Lamas. So that would have been really brilliant. Damn it, Cookie, why didn't you do this? I should have been taking pictures and all that. But yep. no, that that was awesome. We Yeah, so they were they were a good watering hole for our, our kind of t- trips around Green Park. And we were for them. So like they had a big crew this year. They're like 20 people. They all like showed up with shirts that had like blue tape crew on it and all that. So they were, Damn. They were formal and official. Yeah, it was crazy. So shout out to them. That was awesome. Uh, I brought some uh, Sebring virgins this year uh, Way. to the event. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> and uh they, they yeah so they, they they showed him a good time too so that was great and obviously we went to the magic bus uh like more times than i think i've ever gone to that we, uh, people just like okay well it's late let's just go to the magic bus and magic so i was bus? like okay yeah it's it's a bus that's out that's on the inside of uh just magic. before turn 10 magic m-a-g-i-c yeah there we go <laughs> i'll spell that for the podcast uh today's <laughs> words magic everyone magic uh <laughs> So okay, why is why is the bus magic? Uh, because you have to any Sebring Virgin has to pop the cherry on the magic. Uh, it's basically a school bus that's been retrofitted into a bar. Oh, okay. So you, you, that was you going enter somewhere the normal way. Very different in my mind. Oh, it, it's supposed to. It's intentional. Ah, Everything okay. at Sebring's intentional. Brilliant. Uh, right. Uh, is because the, awful of the weather intentional, or is that uh, just, is that just you? No, is it's that just you just no. bringing the weather with you. No, it follows me. Uh, I am a ra- I am a I am the personification of a stormy day. So, ouch, that's a bit. Oh, okay? oh, okay, I, I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't was that negative. Uh, but no, they, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a fun time. They that bus <laughs> has seen some shit. Um, it's really cool though. They've got some uh, awesome pictures that are on the bar. Of, uh, of previous virgins that have had to take the uh, had to have their cherry popped, which is basically like a a cup full of either it's pineapple or um, or cherries that are like just soaked in Everclear for like a month. Oh god! And basically, you just and yeah, you just have to take a, a knock that back. So you, then that's technically called you pop your cherry, and then you just exit off the emergency exit at the back. There you go. You just say hi, just hang out. They got music playing there, but they're like right along the the fence. Yep. On the inside of turn ten, they they used to be right next to where the big SpongeBob was uh, before that trailer burned down uh, like four or five years ago, and they never replaced it. So, um, but yeah, so we would I I've, I think I was there six or seven times this year, which I'm usually there like once or twice. So, wow. yeah, we, had, we uh, there was a lot of alcohol flowing this year. A few a few of our members literally stumbled, and this is the first year that I've ever seen anybody in our group like legit stumble not at like two in the morning but like i'm talking two in the afternoon wow so america sebring, ladies and gentlemen sebring went hard this year absolutely that's america awesome. um mm-hmm. far out damn that's like that's like crazy levels we have people when we go to bathurst complaining about like 
uh, other campsites being rowdy at like 11 p.m. at no. night, but no, no, that's well, see. So, so here, here's what happens at Sebring. That doesn't happen at all. It's just, it's literally anarchy. So everybody just starts, uh, just negatively berating the people that annoy them, or just come up with terrible nicknames for them, just to, uh, you know, to passively aggressively get back at them for for being dicks. So there's, um, there's one group that used to be across the street from us. We call them the Sadness Crew because they would just basically sit there. They'd have like a easy up, ten by ten, easy up. They'd have two of these like karaoke speakers, point them directly across the the road, and hook it up to some basic DJ system, and then just start playing like the worst, like the worst hip hop, the worst rock, the worst country, Every, like any genre. They played the worst music, and it was just terrible music. And they would have a mic hooked up, and they would just like cat call people, and it would just be drunk like forty year old oh. dumb cat. Like it was so we would, and again, like we're fine because we can just turn up our like extremely high quality like WC, audio technical WCP. right well yeah and then and then our buddy who's basically like a, a an audio or like a concert roadie in around tampa or essentially does audio tech for for bands and stuff he's got this amazing equipment so we can drown out anything but like for everybody else we're like kind of feel bad so we call them the sadness crew and we always look to see if they're going to show up each year and we start like trying we'll like we'll like kind of like angle cars and stuff like that to block it so that we don't even like we don't even <laughs> see them and stuff it's it's ridiculous Ouch. so yeah uh, but there's yeah i don't know who are you gonna complain to they're just they're, yeah. they're gonna just turn it up louder like that's that's your problem mm, damn damn oh there you go it's camping at sebring everyone i one last question about camping before we move on to the actual racing the event for the first time of course had the wc and imsa there how did it feel like from ground zero backing up after the eight hour WEC race, which ended at midnight to then the 12 hour IMSA race that started at 10. Like how did the atmosphere of the, the track and the race sort of rebuild and back up for two big races over the one weekend? Um, it, it was hard to say. I think next year will be more of a tell just because the, the rain was strategically terrible for when it hit, it hit literally, as the WC8 race was ending and then right before the IMSA race. So not only have ever has everybody been out there that's been camping for three days that you have to deal with all this rain and stuff like that. And it wasn't like a light rain. It was just it was pretty solid rain for about an hour. So if things got were exposed, they got wet. And I got a lot of stuff that got wet. So there was I, I think there might have been a diminished factor from that. Obviously with the 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 start being delayed by forty minutes for the IMSA race, um that didn't help either. Yeah. I, I honestly didn't see really that much of a, of, of a difference. Once everything dried out, 1 p.m., the amount of people that I saw walking around the, the track was about the same, if not maybe a little bit more, but I would say probably the same. It, around the campsites that nobody really had left, I mean, everybody had known that this is this is a Saturday thing, so you're going to be here for Saturday. So um, the average fan that maybe would have showed up for 12 hours of Sebring, but showed up for the eight hours and was like, I'm kind of good. I don't need to show up anymore for the 12 hours. Maybe we would have lost that. And that might've ticked it over to 200. Okay. I, I think that might've been viable, but I, I definitely didn't see a dent that much in between both days. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds like to me, that would have been a little bit surprising because like, Never been an event where there's been like two massive headlines like that before, and I, I know myself well enough to know I just get burned out like so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but I, that that's the thing. I think I think 
the most of the people at Green Park. Once you once we get by day two, I think you get you hit your groove and you know the the veterans know how to pace themselves through everything. And I, I honestly was just of I mean everything was sore and it hurt, but like you, you have a routine. Yeah. And it's you're you're watching racing. So yeah. I if there was racing Sunday, I'd I'd have been there. If they just had races Monday, I'd be there too. So that was kind of my my deal. Sweet. Sounds good. I'm Keep a going. little jealous, but I'm also very glad I'm not surrounded by drunk people for four days. That sounds that sounds <laughs> like a bit much for me, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's talk about racing. Uh, where do we want to go first? IMSA or WEC? Do, do, do. I don't know. Okay, oh, okay. You know what? Let's, you let's, let's, let, no, no, hold on. Hang on. Let's, let, let, let's do this. So before we do that, so they have the... I want to talk a little bit about the paddock. Okay, let's talk about the It was a paddock. combined paddock, and then we'll then we'll go. Then we can do a WC and say one first. So, um, okay, so the paddock. Uh, first impressions. I like the new pits. Uh, so the uh, pit entrance at T sixteen, pit exit halfway down the back straight. Um, I thought that was fine. I yeah. didn't have any issues with that. It worked pretty um, well. The pit entrance was cool. Mm. So, and they, there was a there was a retractable door or kind of like gate. So you kind of get right there. There was no RVs. I was kind of blocking the view. So you could see, and the gate um, didn't have any catch fencing or anything like that. So you could get kind of clean shots of them just dive bombing into the pits, which is really narrow, and you have to just kind of weave through that. And it was just kind of like, oh, man, it was uh, it was kind of hairy for a couple of those pit entries. That was neat. Um, did you did, – did that – was that noticeable on, on the TV at yeah, all or no? it was – like from my impressions, it looked like the double pits worked really well. But yeah, it was a bit scary watching some of the the prototype guys just sort of swing the entire way out of the racing line and then just like head directly for that concrete wall, only to just like pivot around at the last minute. You're like, whoa, man, what? Oh um, yeah, for sure. Mm. And uh, so behind that that's where all the wc uh teams were so pretty much how they had the pits the was right where they had all the the um all the easy ups and that kind of stuff for all of the uh the transports and whatnot that they were well, I, I should say the the shipping containers and yep. whatever that they had which is hilarious too because most of the team management stuff was literally just in cargo uh like cargo containers that were retrofitted to be basically just you know offices yeah so you would just have like Toyota GmbH just kind of like a sign there, but you just be you know people with doors, and that's where drivers would be for their meetings and all that stuff. So, um, two uh, two more things. So very long, uh, very long paddock. They didn't allow any um, golf carts, which I was fine with because then you're just walking, and basically you don't have to worry about anything other than just drivers, you know, cars and team buggies, that kind of stuff. So it allowed you to get even closer to the cars. WC themselves really didn't have any barriers. I think this is a lot too due to the Le Mans uh, regulations that they were really uptight about them um, not revealing more of the car and, you know, the Porsche, Audi, Toyota, where they block the front of the LMP1s. So, I mean, you could just basically walk up. I mean, more so than the oh, IMSA cool. paddock, you could just walk directly up almost to Toyota itself and just almost, you, I mean, you were just getting close and they weren't, you, they weren't saying anything. So, uh, that was really that was really cool. Um, Damn. And then, yeah, so yeah, that was really neat. The only problem that I ever had with the paddock, or at least just with the activation stuff, was I just WC didn't activate at all for the casual fans or anybody that it didn't know, like 
that didn't already know about WC and wasn't already familiar about it. Um, like they just had to survey people that were walking around the track and while that's fine and I, 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 that's okay. They didn't really even have, they didn't have any signages up. They didn't really have any flags up. They didn't have any like brochures or anything. They just kind of were there. There was no IMSA. Um, and it was such a huge stark contrast because in the last two years I've seen IMSA just slowly ramp up, slowly ramp up, slowly ramp up. And obviously for the 50th year for IMSA, they went pretty, pretty hard for this, uh, for this year with merch. So I would say in the last two years, they've com- they've literally doubled their merch. And I'm just talking IMSA themselves. The teams themselves have also stepped up. So you have almost separate sections for the uh, specific teams. So you, know, you can now get team-related merch, which that used to not just be a thing. Um, and a lot of variety with that, too. We're having like other brands that are not even affiliated remotely with racing. Well, sort of. They're, they're making like Sebring-affiliated stuff with IMSA. WC nothing, literally nothing with the wow. championship. No, nothing with the drivers. Nothing. I mean, you didn't even see the only Alonzo stuff you saw was third party vendors that had bought them on eBay and were just reselling them there. Same with Aston Martin jackets. I mean, I saw people buying Aston Martin jackets, but again, wasn't from anybody that you that were officially affiliated with Aston Martin. It was just third party vendors snatching stuff up from the UK after like the team discards them after they're done. And you know, they're, you're like. Okay, that's that's fine, but I was see I was literally prepared to spend almost like two hundred dollars US on merch. I was literally ready because I didn't know how much. I would assume European prices are going to be a lot, and I'm probably going to want to buy stuff. I literally couldn't buy a thing, wow. and I didn't want to. So it, it was just it was that was a bummer. That was a huge bummer. Super and I got asked by a lot of people too because I had a bunch of Toyota stuff. They're like, "Oh, where'd you get this flag, man? Where'd you get this like Toyota?" Like I'm like I found it on eBay, like. <laughs> I've asked somebody nicely. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. Um, that's that's a right. real shame. Do you, so do you think right. that do you think I got got a lot of feedback to say hey we wanted to buy merch and there's nothing here? I think I think this because I'll just keep saying it. I mean I I mean I'll I'll be going back uh, next year. Um, I I hope that there's some form of feedback or or at least I, I can raise this maybe you know maybe with you know GG and MP as well. They can they can um bring this up also kind of a, as an off right i mean because it just doesn't make any sense and the last observation i was going to make is that like toyota um you can see how how crazy the lmp1 budgets are i mean how insane it is uh toyota's crew and ensemble it feel, felt like it dwarfed every other team in the paddock just by a factor of two to one wow i mean they, there was so many there's so much toyota um, crew, I don't know if they were working on cars, just logistics, whatever that they had that that was at that track. I mean, I was leaving Sunday morning at like eleven, like twelve one p.m. Only people left there was just hordes of Toyota uh, representative, either their corporate or uh, team shirts, that kind of stuff, like lime green shirts with the Toyota logo. You know, so like yeah. definitely know that they're affiliated, but it was just like I-, I saw so many of those, just more so than Corvette, the the four. Four team Porsche. I mean, it was crazy. And you're telling me that like the amount of money that Toyota is sinking into that, and WC can't even just at least throw them a bone and be like, "Yo, if you got any merch, man, here." <laughs> like mm. maybe some Americans who spend lots of money at 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 nauseum at tracks might want to buy some of that. So that was my that was my only couple of gripes, and that and now we can actually get to racing. So yeah, that's kind of disappointing. Okay, yeah, we'll. we'll... 
Worry about that later. I'm going to skip into racing. So, WEC. Uh, a few talking points over the course of the weekend. Of course, I had the 8-hour slash 1,000 miles race on the Friday, which is the first time I think we've ever had a WEC race on a Friday, which, yep. is a bit, which is a bit crazy for me because it was like, wait, what day is it? Wait, there's racing on? Huh? What? Um, so mm-hmm. and, was, and first mileage race too, by the way. Yeah, I think the first distance race ever for WEC. There was a few old mileage races back in the Intercontinental Le Mans Cup days, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, one... 1,000. Yep, that was a bit before my time. So yeah, really, really interesting format. And I think doing it at Sebring was a cool decision because now, okay, maybe this is going to be an unpopular opinion thing, but I don't really like Sebring as a track. But I got to say the fact that the WC has gone to one of the like older school style tracks with like grass runoff and concrete barriers and bumps and concrete, like just... Something that's a bit, you know, not FIA grade one with acres of runoff and fantastic facilities. It did throw up some really nice old school problems, which is good because I like that sort of stuff. I like having to deal with, you know, cars launching off the freaking ground going through turn 17 because that's mm-hmm. what breaks suspensions and that sort of stuff. So that was that was good. I enjoyed that. It was an old school track, which brought up some old school problems. And we saw reliability problems for LMP1 again, again and again and again. But we saw them really early on this time as well. Well, number seven also had some problems. So I guess the H, H's kind of weren't perfect. But what was the problems for the seven? They they had the they had the engine cover off for, a, I think, a lap something for a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't recall the actual problem, but I, I mean, I do remember that in quick viewing and the highlight reel also showing that but i don't recall what the problem mm, i think they were just uh changing some some aerodynamics oh or something like that. Yeah, yeah they might have been just changing like brakes uh yeah that might have been just a routine thing and they're just taking time with it mm, yep um but yeah so the number seven had that issue both of the rebellions had major issues i think the number one didn't even end up finishing uh at the end um dragon speed had an issue and didn't finish uh the SP racing yep. car crashed pretty heavily uh yep. at one point. Um also to note too that if you do ha- if you did have a problem uh unlike every other cal- round in the calendar you could not just jack the car up and turn it 90 degrees and wheel it back in the garage mm. you basically had to push it behind the wall american style which we did see a couple of those uh you know having to be pushed behind the wall so Really, I mean, it was it, it was a juxtaposition of kind of just a well, this is <laughs> this, this is, is the temporary lot that we've got, but it yeah. really chimes, or it rings back to uh, the the old days of uh, the World Endurance Championship for sure. Cool, yeah, that was that was something that was very interesting. I wonder how the teams felt about that because if I was a Toyota and I had to push this stupid thousand, stupid million dollar uh, car all the way down to the the end of the pit lane just to turn it around and push it all the way back um yeah that would have been no a solid no bueno from me um <laughs> yeah but that's what they did um we saw the 38 as well oh sorry the 28 tds oh no it was the 38 the jackie chan dc car um with a bunch of problems as well and i think that's the most problems i've seen from prototypes in one concentrated little packet of racing, because it was really early on in the race as well that we saw a lot of these problems spring up. 
Um, yes. So, so the question I have for you then is, do you think that is part of the track? Do you think that's part of the condensed weekend? Or do you think that's just uh, the teams being unprepared? That's the track. I mean, there's not much more that you're going to be able to really prepare for. I mean, unless unless it was Oreka not bringing a stiff enough or, you know, a soft enough spring or something like that, then then I guess then yes, then that's a lack of preparation. But from, I mean... Um, it just, it, 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 it depends. Cause then, then I'm in my mind's eye, I'm going, okay, well that T17, uh, Oreca bouncing you know, yeah. off the track, is that kind of too stiff a suspension? You know, does that end up breaking the car? So there, there might be a little bit of column A, column B, but man, I mean, Sebring is just such a unique track that unless you've got that three, four years of experience doing like, okay, this is how, this is how rough this track is. I think you always don't ever go to Sebring knowing being you know being 100% confident of what you got under you so um Sebring just does that and that's and again it shows it with cars that we've come to pretty much assume are bulletproof having problems and I would assume again too that it's a lot of it is just man you hit a bump the wrong way that thing is gonna unplug that thing is gonna fray that thing's gonna Go break sideways yeah hmm it is a bit of a unique challenge because the concrete at Sebring has never been resurfaced or remade some parts of it really haven't. I mean, there's been they've definitely shaved part of a, uh, some of the stuff down. I think that is just way too ridiculous. But for the most part, they've never really repaved it at all. Uh, yeah. The the back part of the course has it's definitely you know you can tell when it when it shifts from one one part of the track to the other. But even from those aspects, they're they're only doing enough to maintain you know a somewhat smooth surface on the asphalt parts. The asphalts aren't real smooth either. So damn. That's a little. That's that's very different to what we've come to expect from WEC tracks because, you know, most of the WEC tracks we go to are like Silverstone or Spa or you know Fuji or Shanghai, where it's like freaking billiard table the entire way. So I actually really enjoyed that aspect of it. I really enjoyed watching the cars have to move around and be on an awful surface and you know kick up grass and that sort of stuff because you just don't see it enough. I think. And it was cool to see that. Um, another thing that Sebring really brought in to the WC that was interesting that we haven't seen is um, the lighting. The lighting at the end of the race. Because, of course, how much of the, the second half of the race was in darkness? Was it like five hours or something? Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah. yeah three yeah. hours in light, four, four or five in darkness. Yeah, like the, the lighting at Sebring was... It was like... It was almost like Le Mans, like the darkness at Le Mans sort of thing, except, you know, it was much more confined and close and that sort of stuff. So I actually really enjoyed that, seeing the cars have to be aware in the darkness. Because normally, like, the the 24-hour races I've watched recently have been like Daytona, where it's been, you know, the, the entire place is lit up like it's in the middle of the day. So that was really cool. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that is a a perspective too outside of Bahrain that you just don't get. And 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 I love the aspect of the sunset. Um, I, I I think it just it tips a ticks a bunch of boxes that I think the WC could easily do on a normal basis. And I think um, it's great. You know, your point that you said earlier about how that's not typical of WC and FIA is just go to something that is not you know the most perfectly safe thing that they could possibly go to. I think it. It's refreshing to see them do that, you know. From a locals' perspective, it's refreshing to see NASCAR fresh up, fresh up their schedule into 
uh, for next year into ways that it could easily just create a little bit more drama, a little bit more excitement, just a little bit more talking points by just naturally moving things around to make it work. And I think the WC did a, a, a fantastic job making it like this. Now, remember, this wasn't the original concept. The hmm. concept was going to be we start this at 12, run this for eight hours, 10 hours, whatever, till 10 on Sunday. I would have been fine with that, too, just because of how unique it is anyway. I, I think making something crazy unique like this where you start at night, run of the day, run of the day, start of the night, that kind of thing. Make it a mileage race. All right, that's fine. Go to a bumpy track. Let's do it. Just do stuff that is slightly outside your comfort zone, especially for what the series is used to, and you'll see a lot of rewards. And I think that this is a huge uh, bonus and benefit. And you can tell by the, the talks that they're having pre-Sebring, Super Sebring, and post-Super Sebring is that WC and IMSA thought this was a raging success, and it doesn't seem like they're inclined to do anything other than come back next year and do some, and do an even better job. So I, I can't be nothing, anything other than encouraged by last weekend. Awesome. Especially from the WC side. Yeah. Sweet. So, so what were your overall impressions from the WC race? Um. So the weather nerfed the last part of the race, which I, I see on your track uh, yeah. on your notes here. So, um, yeah, that that obviously dampened it a little bit. Um, but again, we're I think all of us that are listening to this are are under, of the understanding that probably by the sixth hour of a six hour race, eighth hour, whatever it is, Toyota is probably going to be winning overall. Um, rebellions are probably, you know, if they don't break or should be beating SMP, although we're getting closer to the fact that I shouldn't be able to say that. Um, yeah, SMP have been, have been really doing excited. some upgrades. I, I really right. like that. That's where the, that's where the kind of diamond in the rough will be. Um, P2 is going to be a crapshoot, but you know kind of where the cream is at this point with TDS, with G-Drive, with Alpine. Uh, TDS, um, TDS have been not what I've okay. been expecting. So I'm, I'm going yes. to have a rant about them later. Okay, right. So, but but yeah, you TDS. yeah, you generally know that like you know what you're going to expect. Cars, yeah. Um. So yeah, and and we'll get into GTs later. But yeah, I I thought um I was disappointed with the EOT. Um, I thought that, but with that being said, seeing the Toyos on track and seeing everybody else's reaction, uh, anybody who's been there for fifty years, myself, um, anybody who's been in the year one, everybody's reaction was just minds blown with how fast the Toyos were. Um, a lot of people who have seen the LMP ones there before were just were saying their their big boys are back, cats, big cats are back, that kind of thing. So, um, sorry to all the IMSA fans, I was one of those people, and uh, and I I loved it. I mean, I, the the Toyotas are just otherworldly how quick they are, and I and for it it definitely as somebody who never saw them a uh, 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 LMP one hybrid. Having everybody say that is one thing. Actually seeing them is another. And it's kind of one of those things is like if you have the opportunity to see a hybrid, just go see it. Just go see its corner exit. And I think once these things retire, if anybody actually takes them out on track and kind of reverts them to 8 megajoule power, see those. Because I, I can't even imagine. Because these are at what? Four, five right now? I, I mean, they're honest, pegged way I back. I don't know. Uh, I've kind of pushed that side of things like just to the side for a little bit right so at any rate though these things are still pegged back and they are just destroying everything out on corner exit and again it's so noticeable from just a casual viewer and that's the thing that i took away going man i i know we're scaling back but that is that's going to be rough to see in comparison to because that that kind of gave you the argument of yeah i'm gonna miss that and that gave me that gives you an argument against dpi because dpi is a Slightly slower than LMP1 Privateer. 
those things are quick too. But man, I mean, they're not hybrid quick. We weren't all pointing at the LMP1 privateers. We we're pointing at the Toyota, and it wasn't because they had you know they had a Fernando Alonso in there because you couldn't tell. <laughs> you know, you just you know it wasn't because it was red, white, and black. Because remember, that's the official color scheme of FIA. So, yeah, yeah. But it was uh, I mean, they were just, just crazy out of the corners. So that was the first. That was the first sign to me that man, there is definitely an X factor in the LMP1 hybrid. And I, I don't. I, I think dismissing the hybrid aspect is is foolish. I think it's completely short sighted if you're even if you're not looking at it from a future standpoint, future technology standpoint, just because of the the uniqueness that it gives. And you will not find that in Formula One. I mean, you won't find it in any other place where you can bolt on such a large hybrid. Again, new car car won't have that large of a hybrid, yeah. but to that caliber, and that that was that was thrilling. That was exciting. Um, uh, I'm almost done here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, GTE right. Pro was fantastic. I, let me just quickly say this: GTE Pro was fantastic. Love to see the new cars. Um, really would have wished to see the Aston Martins do a little bit better and the Corvette to do a little bit better. But eh, that's great. I love the car variety, and that actually blew IMSA's out of the water, in my opinion. Um, and then finally. Talking to the track workers and track corner workers, that kind of stuff throughout the weekend, uh, it was notable the difference between the two series. And what I mean by that, uh, from what I gathered and what they said, was that the driver caliber and just how, um, I wouldn't say cordial everybody was, but how professional everybody was when it comes to pro- uh, uh, obedience with blue flags, um, obedience when it comes to yellow flags, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff, responding to incidents, that kind of thing. They seemed to be more crisp they they were more aware had more kind of spatial awareness that kind of stuff and that's in the wc they, in the wc race yeah. and that and people were like you could kind of tell which race was which or which series was which just by looking at the driver actions out on track and so that was interesting you know to hear that from me uh, to, to hear that from uh from a corner worker as well and, and a direct comparison between two series and i think we'll get in a little uh into that a little bit later but mm, those are some really quick Quick five-minute thoughts, but... Uh, Quick five-minute yeah. thoughts, 15 minutes later. Yep. <laughs> cool. The, how, the... Wait, how did you like it? How did you like it? <laughs> I, I, look, to be honest, I I was having a rough, like, sort of weekend because I was swapping uh, swapping shift, uh, like, lines. So I was going from day shift to night shift. So, like, I didn't actually watch the races live. I woke up when the wc race started started my recording of it and then went back to bed and then woke up in the last 10 minutes so that was my experience of the wc race i didn't go back and watch it later and it it was busy but it wasn't it wasn't like the busy we saw in like 2016 or 2017 where there was something going on all the time in all the classes that sort of stuff it was but that's kind of been the the function of the wc races this year though well this season rather is that because we haven't had the extreme battle at the top it just kind of mutes everything else but that's just been the the way of this year um i actually quite enjoyed it i enjoyed it i think a bit more than the imsa race yeah as you said it felt a bit more professional and a bit more uh like properly taken care of if that makes sense it was good to see like a a wc officiated race at a place like sebring because We'll talk a bit later about how IMSA goes about their business. Um, and yeah, I I like I enjoyed the race. I didn't not like it, but yeah, I it wasn't from watching it the way that I had to. It wasn't anything super special, is the thing. Um, but there was still a decent amount of stories to throw out. Uh, and we'll get to those. We'll get to those now. I think is that okay? Huzzah. 
Nizar. Nah. Um, so the first one, of course, is the P1. Toyota's ended up finishing how many laps ahead of everyone? Ten laps ahead of the S&P car. Um, but all the privateers ah. had problems, though. So um, some not to the scale of others. I mean, of course, the 17 very uh, spectacularly broke itself into bits. Uh, I think that was around the exit of turn one. Um, and then the the rebellion number one car just had a multitude of problems throughout the the, the race. But yeah, the 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 privateers were just basically nowhere. And I wanted to ask you this EOT change that they had. They had an EOT change, right, to to reduce the fuel allowance of the P ones. Mm-hmm. Did we go backwards? It was that actually going backwards? Um, look, uh, I think I think it's time we have this conversation. I think it's time we go to five classes. I, oh. I, I just think it's, uh, I, I think, I think we're ready for that. <laughs> um, because there's no win for this there. What, where, where is your exit strategy? Um, we're hemorrhaging at this point in terms of interest for the top class. I, I, I have to basically sell people that, uh, the, you know, four cars are going to race each other. And those but are privateer yeah. cars that basically aren't capable of racing each other because they can't they either crash they are too unstable and then they crash. Um, they're too unstable and they can't compete competitively with each other or they break. Yeah. So that's what I have to sell LP1 on, which I can sell it if those are the only four or five cars, but they're not. There's two other cars that kill everything, just annihilate everything. So they're not, I mean, again, we've, GG and MP and everyone else, um, you know, S365, no one's talked about, you know, uh, Toyota taking a, a year off. They haven't talked about Toyota going in as a privateer engine manufacturer and supporting some random team and throwing their drivers in it. So it doesn't look like that's what they want to do, which I don't blame them. Why would you? You've already injected all this money. So you want to keep it. Just roll it over. Uh, so where are we going with EOT? I, we have yeah. Spa and then we have Le Mans. So if this EOT is basically prime for Le Mans, then just come out and tell us that this is not going to work for any other track. And this is, But this is good for Le Mans. Trust us here, guys. This is what we're going to be using for Lamar, and this is going to be a lot better. Well, because right the, now, yeah, the you're just is, trying to fool people. The thing is, we've never had that sort of communication from the ACO. They never really tell us anything, really. They're just like, here's the changes. And you're like, but but why? But why is this happening? And I But think- they haven't made any changes, really. I mean, what what have they done to actually... What actual significant... Like, again, I can flip a switch, uh, you know up and down and say that I'm, I'm affecting change. But if there's no electricity going, you know, there's no current yeah. uh, existing there. It's not going to turn the light on. I'm, I'm working as hard as I can to make that light turn on, but it's not going to do anything. So, yeah. I mean, from, from that aspect th- on paper, nothing has changed. You've made some change. You've, you've, adju- you've adjusted things, but the overall result is the same, if not worse. And so, I mean, again, there's, there's, I can't, there's no storyline to even promote. No one's faster than the Toyotas on pace. No. So where, so right. So I, unless there's an advantage, why are we even discussing EOT at this point? It's, it's, it's pointless. Yeah, it is pretty pointless. I, I just want to make, well, I just want to express one point that Trevor Vasaurus has done in his sports car engineering blog, which you should definitely check out. So 
we saw EOT get closer at especially Fuji. I think at Fuji we were actually I was actually really impressed until the rain came and kind of ruined everything. The LMP ones were only a second off of the Toyotas at at basically maximum pace, and that's actually not too bad. But at Sebring, the top fifty laps from the Toyotas were faster than all of the laps by the privateers, and their drop off. The privateers' lap time drop-off was like three seconds over the top 50 laps, whereas the Toyota's was only like just over one. So, the Toyota, like, it's just, there is no competition. Um, And if there's no competition, what's the point of watching? What's the point of racing? What's the point of activating this thing? So, I think that's the the mood that a lot of WC fans especially are in at the moment, because that's where I am. Like, that's why I was saying it was a, it was a struggle for me to watch the Sebring race, because... Even when you're looking at the top class, it's like there's nothing there. And I mean, yes, I made the expression that we were spoiled when I first started watching the WEC, when we had Porsche, Toyota, and Audi, and they were all so close, and they were all doing so much cool stuff, and you could go to a race weekend and not know who was going to win at all. But this is... It's not even close to being acceptable. Like... Do you, do you get excited to watch the LMP1 class at, at a normal WC race? Are you excited to watch LMP1 at Spa in like a month's time? No. I, I Who would be? Exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean I, I point me to the nearest person that believes that and I'll, I'll call him a liar. I, what, where are they even basing any of this off of outside of just pure optimism and... Uh, trying and rose-colored glasses. I mean, this is this has been pretty awful in terms of equalization of a class, which is kind of what equalization of technology is supposed to be Implies, for, yeah, or equivalence, equalization, whatever. It's the same thing, um, you know. And so, uh, FIA and ACO themselves are going to go to a BOP system for the new car car. So, I mean, that that should tell you what you need to know. They clearly don't believe the EOT is is viable. Otherwise, they would do that. Um, again, it, I guess it's not really necessary either. They don't need to, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, it, 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 that's why I'm saying it does not, the, you're not making this any easier for yourself because you have a full another season. This is 2019 mm-hmm. and we got 2020 coming up and we got six months. We can hold out. I, I can buy it. But if you're, if this is what it's going to be like for the next year where we have zero press about anything, there really is no face to anything. Mm-hmm. And I have to, and again, we're just, we're just hanging on to a couple, you know, writers and insiders that know what's sort of what's going on, but are, you know, half of their announcements are under gag orders because you don't want to say anything. You can't. Mm. It's just like, it's like there's interest, but nothing confirmed yet. Right. And, or, or it's just like, as much as I love them, are, are they the best people to be, you know, spoon feeding us this information because they found it out? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we be getting more updates from like somebody who's, who is, more in touch with this process that is not afraid of a camera. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and the weird part too, is that this isn't like, this is a French sport and we're just trying to tap into it. Um, where that there's, 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 there's French tabloids that are constantly talking about Le Mans prototypes. Um, and they're talking, you know, the, the, the latest you know, Wolfgang Uric, um, you know, vacation spots that he visits, you know, there's, there, there's no, there isn't a, another uh, Avenue that I can go sink my teeth into to start getting information. It's basically, a couple podcasts, two websites, and that sometimes don't like the way that either of them report on news, and that's it. Like I, I, we don't have any other thing. We're here left to speculate, 
And I would say we're one of the we're some of the more competent people that are at least thinking about some of the stuff that we're saying, or at least the some of the connections we're making to these dots. And we're of the vast, vast minority. Mm. So it's I, I just I, I've said this for months, man. I'm just tired of WC putting it on its fans to have to explain why the P1 yeah. uh, class is terrible. And they should just split it. Mm. Hey, they split it. Well, actually, just freaking tell us. Tell us. Give us information. No, because that that's the thing. Out. That's the thing, Flood. That's my whole point is that they don't have a solution to that. Yeah. They don't. They cannot, they cannot solve this problem, and that's clearly evident. We've already been through the 8 million different reasons why a hybrid-powered OEM-backed factory effort that has untold amount of millions... Dollars. Right, and ex- and the experience of being so close. Once Mazda wins, do you think that that people are going to go? No, they just won one race. No, they have no idea what they're doing. No, of course they know. They they've lost every way imaginable. Yeah. So I that that's a silly argument again. So that's what I'm saying. Split the classes. We all know you can't actually do the EOT. Split them, and then at least I can go. Yeah, you're right. There's only Toyota competing in its own class. You know, fine. But there's nobody else to compete with it. They still want to be in here. They're going to be in here in 2020. Then don't don't watch hybrid. You know, they'll get overall win. I'll be happy, and then you can watch P1, and you'll be happy. They're just not overall wins. Who cares? So, I I think that is at least the sensible option. And I I would be shocked if they don't do that for 2019 because I don't know how they fix it otherwise. Maybe they don't. There you go. There's another rant. Yep. There you go. You got any? You need any more? No, I think I think for now we we move on to something that was a little more positive from the WC race, uh, and we we try to be a bit more positive. Maybe maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Oh no, no. We're still talking WC, so there ev- yep. everything outside of P1 was great. Great. Yeah. So let's talk about something that was super great out of P1, and that was the GTE class. Now. The GTE class had probably the best balance performance I've ever seen from a GTE race, ever. So, they're like again, referencing the Trevor Vassour Sports Car Engineering blog, because he does all the number crunching that I can't be stuffed to do. Um, the entire uh, entire field across the Beth's laps and then the top 50 laps were within half a second. Now, over a 120-second lap, that's like that's really really good that's like a quarter of a percent so around about don't don't quote me on the exact number i'm just making a point here gte bop was fantastic and we got some great racing throughout the gte field um because there was a definite transition of the cars who were set up for the early part of the race in the in the the sunshine and the warmth versus the cars that were better suited to the end of the race and that was that meant that we got to see a lot of these cars coming through the field in the darkness which is what set up that really really cool finish and you know why i was so excited about those that finish why because Porsche. oh yeah Porsche. yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah it was it was it was really cool to see see the difference because you know you saw the likes of the Fords drop off. You saw the likes of the the Ferraris and the Aston Martins drop off, whereas the BMWs especially and the Porsches came into the fore as the the track rubbed in and the temperatures cooled off. And I think that is something that we don't get to see enough with the races the way that they are. The fact that we started in the light and finished in the darkness and the cooler conditions meant that we got to see that sort of thing, and it was really really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
well, yes, I I think the 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 chassis variety was on point. Um, you had uh, a few extra cars to look at that were gorgeous. Um, and yeah, the 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 effective BOP for GTE was was just was GTLM esque, um, uh, or a a great GTLM esque race. Um, essentially, is I think the the best comparison I could make to it. Because yeah, they were all everybody was close. Um, I don't believe every make led a lap, but there was a lot of cars that did. Mm. Um, and you definitely had strategy that came to affect a bunch. Um, you had slow zone, um, essentially slow zones that essentially created um, on the fly strategies that had to be made, especially in the GTE class. And you saw, you know, some pretty dramatic slow racing that was going on during some of those uh, that was provided by the Ford and, and BMW crews. Um, so uh, again, it was line, yeah. right. It, it 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 kind of did take the mold of a a race almost like an IMSA race that had a you know that had a bad overall kind of s mm. race to it so you were almost like looking at gtlm to kind of pick you up um especially back you know back in the dp days where you're like oh i don't really two dps running off with it so yeah it kind of felt a little bit like that and uh but they were all really close um crazy battles all the way up until the end and uh yeah i mean Porsche, Porsche, Porsche. Hell yes, I do love a good Porsche victory. But to something to to, to mention about that though, it was looking like BMW were going to take the win. It was very very tight on the fuel strategy until the rain came down, and that changed everything really, um, because that was where the Porsche who didn't have to fill up the car to make it to the end were able to make make the jump in the pits and then the safety car came out and yeah that was that was the end of the race basically and so the the results show that the Porsche and the BMW were a lap ahead of everyone but the reality is that they were only about 20 seconds ahead and the rest of the cars ended up getting caught behind the Toyotas in the in the train yeah there there was a really cool shot i think too about halfway through the race as well where they had like five makes back to back to back yeah and it was just like they were, they were just showing them all kind of in the line all battling with each other like okay all right so i think they nailed it i think they got it and, and, and uh yeah the it shows that yeah right yeah really really cool i i very much enjoyed the gt race unfortunately I did, because of because of the way that like the wc does its broadcast as well like you kind of keep missing stuff as well or maybe that was just me maybe that was just me trying to catch up on it too quickly <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that that too. Uh, they did show a little bit of DTM too, which was a surprise mm. from this uh, this American who doesn't seem to see the fourth class of the IMSA series that much. Yeah, so, we're gonna we're gonna that, that, that might have been it too. Yeah, um, because yeah, the 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 GTM class at the very end of the race, there was still the four cars on that lead lap, which was really really like. For a class which has got eight eight cars in it, and it's meant to be like a pro-am class, that is what you want, right? You want the cars being that close at the very end, even with the differences in driver quality and uh, team quality and that sort of stuff. To have like the Dempsey Proton car, Spirit of Race Ferrari, and then the other two Porsches on that lead lap. It's really cool. And another Porsche mm. victory. Yes. Hey, yeah. And shout out to Spirit of Race too. They, they, they were so great. Mm, a yeah, great one as well and just came up a little bit a little bit short exactly right unfortunate for them but they i think they are still leading the championship let's have a quick look at that gtm 
Champ. Uh, no, it's still uh, Team Project One, but uh, Spirit of Race is now second. But with the Dempsey Proton car losing all their points before the last two races, they're already back up into fourth position, or fifth position rather. So that car has been pretty dominant throughout the entire season. I think that's mm-hmm. fair to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a lot. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about P2, because we're going to rattle through this. We're still going to talk about IMSA. Um, the, I think the biggest surprise for me was the fact that the number 37 crew came into this race completely fresh without a year, like a, a complete year of non-P2 racing um, for David Hennemey Hansen, Jordan King, and Will Stevens. And won! They didn't just win, they smashed everyone. They were the class of the field by a long way. So, damn. Well, that entire crew, yeah. They they, they had the entire, uh, a, a year to prepare for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they were doing. They were just, just... David Hennemey Hansen <laughs> raced a year in the Lexus just so he could come back for this event. Uh, and get the experience at Sebring. That's exactly how that well, worked. Right? They, they they knew if they didn't show up, then it would it was going to be Alpine that was going to win it, and everybody was would be really upset. Especially <laughs> especially Alpine Mike. Won it. Especially Mike. I like you seriously. You uh, thank you so much. This is JCDC. You saved me from having to have arguments with him as he was frustratingly angry at their entry in this championship which i get i get that's a that's a that's a conversation for another day but uh that was great um i thought that they they drove a insanely good race and um they thoroughly deserved the victory Mm. um i i think i think out of all the classes they 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 for sure put a stamp on it uh in a competitive class i've counted (laughs) again i i think maybe we'll just start ignoring toyota in overall championship standings obviously just awarding them the accolades they need but I, it's all, it's honestly just better for the conversation. Yeah. Just excluding we'll, Toyota. Yeah, we'll just it. exclude them. They can they can have but, their own uh, championship with blackjack and hybrids. And then quick shout out while we uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, LMP2 before. Uh, quick shout out to Anthony Davison as well coming back into uh, WC and P2. Yep. And uh, and having some fun putting in some good lap times. So it was mm. good to see him back uh, in a prototype. Yep, in the Dragon Speed car, which finished up in third position, which was a really cool result. I'm just going to do a quick checkeroo of the championship as well, because I feel like the championship in LMP2 is between the Jackie Chan DC cars and the Alpine car, which is the case. And at the moment, the the battle at the top is very tight. So you've got the 37 car uh, on 130 points, the 36 car on 125 points, and then the 38 car on 123 points. So that's literally a race win between the top three cars in the championship in terms of like a race win versus coming second. So that's, that's right. how close it is in LMP2 for the championship. So that that sixth place for the 38 car has really dropped them off the lead of the series. And yeah, it was because they were having, uh, I think it was suspension and electronic issues with that car for, for the majority of the race. Yep. Hmm. Um, so uh, that was I think big- it was a gear. It, it might've been a, like a, Gearbox selector oh, issue. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird issues to have, um, especially in one of the LMP2 cars, especially in the Orica, because they're meant to be like bulletproof. Now, I think that was one, uh, if I also remember correctly, uh, that wasn't that one of the problems originally with the car. I know there was electronic problems, but they also had, like, I think it was also gear selector problems initially with when the new P2s came out. They had that problem. So 
I don't know if that was probably the bumps or something, but I can't remember. I, I the the initial problem I remember from the P seven the P two seventeens were the electronic like the entire car going into like limp mode. Like that was what I remember of those early problems. I don't, I don't know. Check out check out Club Barnage and and Christoph's blog yep. over there. I think I think I remember reading that in his post uh, post race notes over there. That uh, that's that's what the problem. Okay, cool. I think. Don't quote me on it though. I will quote Cookie Monster quote me on Phil. It. Yep. But okay, this is this is this has been coming for a fair while. TDS Racing, right? Oh boy. TDS Racing. That... I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mute myself real quick and yep. uh, strap in here. Give me yep. a sec. So All right, I'm ready. For for a team that has meant to, well, sorry, for a team that I thought was going to be one of the the giant killers in LMP2 because I have. Francois Perotto, which is a proven amateur driver, and then the two pro drivers are Vaxavier and Loic Duval. That's that should be a team that should be winning races. However, there has been almost no results from that team like ever. Even even last season as well, that car was just constantly struggling. And if you look at their results this year, their best result has been a fourth twice. That car should be competing for race wins. I don't understand why that car is always the car that has problems, but they have not finished three of the races out of the six this season, and their best result is fourth. Like, I don't know where a car that has Matteo Vaxavier and Loic Duval can finish that far down, and because Perotto's not even that bad, there must be something going on with that car or with that team behind the scenes, because they are floundering at the bottom of the class. They are further behind. They're, they've only got half the points of Racing Team Netherlands and Labra Competition, who are renowned as being the slowpokes of LMP2. I don't understand what is going on with that team because, of course, TDS Racing used to run the Tyrier car in ELMS, which used to just win everything. Like, ugh. I want to support that car. I want to... I want to support Vexavier Duval because they're two of my favorite drivers but when it's going that badly all the time it's just like it's it's like being a Toyota fan but before this season okay I'm done I think I think I'm done you can come back now Cookie no I've lost Cookie forever okay um so to wrap up LMP2 class uh, 37 car took the win over the 36 and the 31. Then it was Labra. Then it was Racing Team Netherlands, and then the trouble-stricken Jackie Chan car. And then TDS got nothing because they crashed right at the very end. Which, yeah, still very much disappoints me. Uh, overall, actually, just very quickly, it looks like the Michelin-clad cars were the ones to be in. Although that was because the other ones had problems. Moving on now, we'll move on to the headline race of the weekend, uh, the IMSA race. Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, we'll, we'll go through the results first, but then I've got one or two questions to ask you. So, the results in the IMSA race were um, were very much all about the Cadillacs in the prototype class. Now, the 31 doing a very good job to hold off the number 10 car at the end, and then the number five car. So it was Action Express and Wayne Taylor Racing. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Mm. Um, of course, mm. there was the much famed uh, burn up of the Mazda car again, the number 77, with Timo Bernhardt behind the wheel again. Uh, but this time it was a cockpit fire of all things. So that would have been very, very scary. 
Uh, GTLM was, uh, again, a battle between Porsche and I think Ford this time, uh, between the 911 and the 67, uh, which then turned into the 66. Uh, we'll talk about that at the very end. And then GTD uh, was all Huracans at the top. It was the number 11 Grassy Team racing car, which won from the Magnus car. And then uh, a bit further afield was the Scuderia Corsa, number 63, uh, Ferrari. And then uh, the number the Land Audi, the number 29, the Riley Motorsports AMG. Um, but I've got a few questions to ask for you. Uh, we're going to do this a little differently than we did WC. We're just going to kind of like riff around the, the race, I guess. So the first question I have for you, Mr. Cookie, what the hell, Mazda? <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could direct uh, Mike to this, then he'd tell you. But uh, I don't know, he's probably crying somewhere. Um, Still, no, no, again, no, no comment. It's just they. Uh, there's always something. I, I don't know. I mean, this they this is now the tough part of schedules over. So you have the two biggest races of the year are now done. Um, the twelve hour arguably is just as hard to win as the twenty four, just because of how violent it is in the cars and clearly that's ace um they had a little bit of normal mazda which is uh actual mechanical failure and then some weird awkward thing that they couldn't handle correctly which then led to more problems whatever happened with that door i don't know that door was open before (laughs) before he hit the wall and after the driver got out he said that it wasn't so either he was fiddling with the door and he literally was distracted and ran off the road and hit it and doesn't want to admit that he was fiddling with the door and was distracted and ran off the road and hit the wall. Or... So you were talking about the um, Bomberito incident where he went off at turn 12, right? Where he just kind of locked it up and went straight into the barriers. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really weird incident. And, like, so sick of Mazda just being crap. <laughs> Well, they are they are stinking up IMSA's DPI show a little bit. Not uh, it isn't as thrilling. It's not as good of a sell when basically uh, the Audi and Porsche show, um, you know, is by itself, and Toyota is you know worse than Toyota was in 2015, yeah. or you know that that kind of thing. When they're, they're not even in the same ballpark, or, yeah. and they can't fin it, so and, and that, that, was, that doesn't help the sport. Yeah, and that was the next question I was going to ask. Um, has the competition gone from DPI? Uh, I would say, I, I think we, we, we talked about this a little bit. I think, the, the it's maturing to a point where, um, you're starting to see teams, um, not unlike what happened in DP, uh, some of those similar teams that were excelling, you know, uh, above the rest, um, they're starting to kind of get a handle on it and you're starting to see teams that are just uh, consistently better than others. Uh, in the DPI field, which is interesting to say, because I mean, we're talking about what you would think is OEM caliber teams, factory efforts. So uh, you would see uh, more so, and I, I think we're used to WC's EOT, BOP, where that is such a big tell on how the weekend will go mm. and not from a reliability standpoint, not necessarily from a, um, you know, a brand injection standpoint, how many customer cars you have standpoint, that kind of thing where WC kind of, there was the EOT and the balance of performance that came from that. That's what would tell all for how, what a good race is. Almost now with IMSA, you're, you're getting what kind of safety car 
plays into it. What kind of pace do we see from cars that maybe weren't as fast? Do they get buffs to yeah. make them faster to, to give competition Cadillacs? But I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say the competition has gone stale, but it certainly has matured to a point where I think it's expected that AXR are going to be up front. Um, and, and wine Tyler, you know, Right. And then Wayne Taylor Racing, Acura, Mazda, you know, they all slot in there. I think Mazda would be giving it more of a go to the Cadillacs if they could just keep it on the road, but they can't. So that's the thing. Yeah. I I think we are seeing more of a stale product right now just from the issues on track. Yeah. Because last year, the DPI class was one of the most exciting classes across sports cars around the world. But if you look at it then compared to now, you had. I, two Cadillac teams, basically, Wayne Taylor Racing and Action Express, versus a factory Acura team who were just coming into it for the first time, a factory Mazda team, which were competitive um, at the very top and had the ability to keep their cars on the road for a lot longer. You had a customer factory-ish Nissan team run by Extreme Speed Motorsports, which were one of the best teams to come from the what was the american le mans series and then turned into grand am merger and then into dpi and then on top of that you had a smattering of quality p2 cars which yeah they were balanced to be there but they were actually capable of taking a win at five or six of the races like remember remember that spell between um road america even before that, between like Watkins Glen and the end of the season, where it was like, oh, you could have seen a core car win, you could have seen a, a extreme speed motorsport car win, you could have seen a Cadillac win, or you could have seen PO1 Matheson cars win, or the or JDC Miller, sorry, motorsport cars win. Like you could see any of these cars win, but at the moment, with the way that they've gone with splitting the DPI and the P2, and the loss of S- uh, ESM and the you know, the problems that Mazda have had, the fact that Core have had to swap into a uh, the old Nissan car, it, it feels like there's only two or three cars that can win now instead of last season where we had eight cars that could win. I mean, sort of, but if you... It, 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 we're going to get to a point, too, that you're going to have to start looking at history and going, okay, well, let's just start adding up here. So last year, we had Cadillac, we had Acura, we had P2. Yep. Those are the winners. We didn't have anybody else. Uh, no, we had ESM. ESM won at Road America, and then I think they won at Petite, right? They didn't win at Road America, but they did win at Petite. Oh, no. Road America was uh, was core. Yeah. So they um, won at Petite. Yes. Yes. Uh, I thought they, ESM might have won somewhere else, but I don't know. I'm did just they gonna, win at Sebring? I'm just going to have a quick check Um, but I feel like ESM did win one race. At least. At any rate. At any rate. So I never thought as them being in contention. And granted, it was basically a fuel strategy or just a gaffe call by the AXR number five team that cost them the overall win at Petite, giving the ESM the win. And if that's their only win, that basically came at the bad misfortune of fuel management but for the number gonna, five team you're still going to be there to win it right you're still going to be there to i win know it. i know but looking looking at that if if you basically take away a mental error from the cadillac team you basically have a cadillac team winning teat as well so yeah. um, um so to round out that 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 point um the esm car the 22 did win at sebring as well um and the okay. number, number two car didn't take a win okay so esm won uh, uh, acura won at mid-ohio 
Um, I feel like that's true. Yes, they won at Mid Ohio. That was their only win, I think, that year. Or this, or no, I think they won somewhere else too. I think they won maybe. Uh, um, they the... didn't win anywhere else. They did only win. Okay, at so Mid-Ohio. that was it. So, okay, so my point is that so we got three wins in non deep in DPIs, and then the rest were non DPI P twos. So essentially, and we have and Cadillacs. Right, that's what I'm saying, is that Cadillacs have basically dominated everything. Yeah. All right, so like last year, fine, that was the fi- We had some final competition for this, and that was from P2s, which are now no longer in the same class. Yeah. So realistically, we've had two wins from ESM, who are no longer a thing. We've had one win from Acura and Penske, which you would assume they'd be better, but for some reason they aren't. Um, I mean, really, where is the diversity of this class when it comes to when it comes down to it? I mean, we have the number 10... And number five and thirty-one, who don't technically, I guess, share data. They're basically getting their data from Delara, but that's it. They're not sharing. They're not. It's not inter Cadillac sharing. But uh, I mean, it just clearly seems that the Cadillac Delara base mother chassis is the Better. preferred one for everybody. Yeah, and those that those two teams are clearly just above everybody else in terms of an overall presentation of a car. So I don't know, man. I mean, so far in this this season, it looks it looks like it's going to be Cadillac, and it was Cadillac last year. It was Cadillac the year before. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. This, I mean, Audi had a lot of competition. I mean, or, or Audi had one to two different types of competition. I mean, I are you know, are, should we keep going down this rabbit hole of comparisons between series? That mm. I mean, I, I so right. I I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit neutered this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not going to say that it's not going to be exciting, but with the way that we saw last year pan out and the way that we're seeing this year pan out so far, where it has just been the caddy show sponsored by Johnny O'Connell. Cookie, you're meant to laugh at that. Um, oh. <laughs> screw you. Um, it, it has just been a little, a little stale. And I think... We're beginning to see what happens when you have uh, manufacturer budgets in a in a class because that's that's what the the direction it's heading um, at the moment. It just seems that Cadillac have solved the class and everyone else has to catch up, which is annoying. Uh, it, it also is annoying too that we don't have um, customer cars. Mm, I mean, you saw you solve this problem by having more more than one. Uh, Nissan DPI. Um, you have more than two Mazdas, however much they break. I mean, you have more than two Penskes. Um, you give the people the opportunity to win a race um, that isn't in just factory-backed cars, and that's just another bullet in the chamber. So, I mean, you know, how much how much ever of this is on like, ha ha ha, IMSA's not doing their pulling their weight, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, well. I mean, all we need to do is expand car counts, right? That's that's yep. what we're trying to do here is competition by way of car counts. So, And, and you want to know which car has actual customers? The one that's winning. Yeah, Cadillac. Uh, yeah, yeah, their customers aren't, you know, the ones taking the win. But, you know, they've got JDC Mueller Motorsport with two cars. Um, I feel like they got Junkers Racing as well. Yep, So, they do. you know, they actually have the cars to, to share around. I, it's just, and, and that's where I just don't know where to have these arguments because it just seems like we're ha- I'm, I'm, we, we are rehashing these arguments mm. every time where it's customer cars. You want customer cars? Why don't we get customer cars? Doesn't make any sense why we get on customer cars. Nope, we didn't get customer cars. Okay, well maybe the next regs will get customer cars. All right, hopefully this 
solve all of our problems. Let's get customer cars. No, they don't want customer cars. I guess we're not having customer cars. Like, I, it's feel like, the I feel same... like customer cars in a prototype class are very, very difficult to sell. Especially if... Maybe not DPI, because DPI is kind of based off of the P2 chassis, so it's a bit... The costs are much further down. But, like, the last customer cars we had in prototype, well, in P1, rather, were last decade. So that get, that's, that shows you how far away we were. I mean, we had year-old chassis, but I mean, those weren't those were still BOP mm. to be slightly slower overall than, than everything else. Which, yeah, so I, I get that argument. I just, um, I mean, I, I just don't see how. I mean, the no one goes racing. Yeah, uh, that, that just seems strange to me that that everybody that everybody, and I guess that's what the AC and FAR are finding out too, is that nobody does want to go racing. I guess unless you. <laughs> You have to coax them with ice cream and candy bars and, and lure them into your van in order to get them to go. So Hot. we'll see if, uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. We're, we're devolving. Brilliant. Well, that's we'll, exactly what, what we expect. Um, yeah, so that's that's DPI at the moment. Um, what about uh, the GT cars? What do, what do we feel about GT at the moment in terms of, yeah, how the race was, the results, and where the GT class is going at the moment? Uh, GTLM was a close race, but that's going to happen when you have more than three safety cars. I have three or four safety cars, and then once you one at the end, the cars are so close and evenly matched with BOP that they can't really get, they can't really grow a, a huge amount of distance. And so, mm-hmm. if anything that neutralizes the field comes out, those cars just slam right back together, and it takes another two hours for them to separate again. So, that kind of racing is just going to constantly give you great, you know, close, close battles. I'm not saying it's boring or it's dull, but it's you. There's there's definitely a, uh, a melody to it that you kind of get used to in IMSA races. And GTLM is always going to be really good, but just I, I it this weekend made me appreciate GT Pro and how they do that. And I, I think almost okay. giving throwing a bone to cars that <laughs> earn their gaps. And okay. uh, I don't know. Oh, I want to push you on this then. So. You mentioned you mentioned if you have anything that compresses the field, it just kind of gets back together then. So we saw that in the IMSA race, especially we're going we're to focus on the very last safety car, um, which was, I think, 30 minutes before the end of the race. Do you think that the IMSA caution rules, which we've talked about a bit before, especially in our Daytona preview, do you think the IMSA caution rules homogenizes the racing a bit too much? It makes it all feel a bit too much the same. Um, I think it it provides a distinction that is not talked about or discussed enough when you talk uh, about a comparison series. Okay. Um, I think when we look at IMSA and WC, we look at what IRL and Champ Car was. If for any Americans that know IndyCar, um, they were basically two separate series that kind of had the same vision. Um, but had two different ways of attacking it, uh, essentially, that were pretty much mirrored, but they were just, they didn't like each other, essentially, yep. so they were fighting. Uh, IMSA and WC, although on the outside appearances do have the same kind of goal aspect of endurance racing, their techniques and how they're going about it have been obviously clearly uh, noted in these talks with the new uh, car car regs, with IMSA being very, very much about cross control and trying to grow the competition via numbers. And WC is looking for R&D, return on investment, product activation, that kind of stuff, um, providing a solid product from a you know solid OEM. 
Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So we know that those are the two different kind of like financial goals of IMSA, but I, or NWC. But I think too that there is a huge aspect of how the show is presented to an audience that IMSA does differently to WC. Mm-hmm. And to be frankly, IMSA does differently than any other sports car series that I've now grown, you know, grown used to the last five years. Everybody's kind of adopted a, the FIA way of, um, you know, as minimal disruption. And yep. IMSA used to be like that too. ALMS was. Uh, they adopted the Le Mans series rules, that kind of stuff, very prolifically in the early 2000s. They were definitely more or less of hands-free, look, this is these are cars. Yes, things fall off them. If we need to recover them, if they're in racing services or they're definitely detriment, we will take steps accordingly. But um, if we feel that we can do things in a safe way and, you know, that everybody's aware of the safe way to do it, you know, we don't need to circumvent the normal kind of race yep. pace. Yep. So uh, IMSA does that a lot. So, yeah, I, I, I do think IMSA does uh, does uh, make the show a little more exciting. Um, and that is a that is a specifically done thing uh, the f- by their race. On the flip side, though. I want to pose this question to you. Right. Do Does the safety car rules make caution-free IMSA racing boring? Because um, you mentioned the fact that whenever you have a, an interruption with a safety car, it brings everything back together and you get a lot of fighting and it's awesome and it's fantastic. And we've seen grandstand finishes in a few series, uh, a few races rather. I think the 2015 year where we had... Uh, was it 2015 or 2016 where we had a late caution in both Daytona and uh, Sebring and Pipo Durrani just did Pipo Durrani things. That was awesome. That was exciting as hell. But mm-hmm. I gotta say this year's Sebring felt flat and it was because there wasn't that sort of interruption to bring the racing back together and there wasn't, you know, in at least in prototype, that many battles on track. And... No, AXR ran away with it. Yeah, that I mean that's that's why it was primarily boring. That's why even with the late safety car, you didn't really feel that all, all that excited. Sure, Wayne Taylor could have passed, but again, the storylines aren't you know. And Wayne Taylor's uh, has had their crazy amount of success that they had two years ago or two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Um. So. So yeah. So I don't does, know. I mean, yeah. Does it, does it the the, the overhang? Up. Sorry to jump in on top of you, but does the overhang overhang of there could be a safety car that brings everything back together, make the periods of green flag racing in IMSA, well, not boring, but like less significant, less analyzable, less, less interesting. Uh, It makes it less unique. It's a unique aspect, aspect to IMSA that I think everybody understands is that they're more safety car prone. They use a different set of yellow flag standards. They're, they're not, um, they don't take the more quote unquote traditional boring route. And I think people look at, uh, the U.S. style of sports car racing as more or less a look into the past in terms of how they did stuff back then. But the flip side of that is that they're owned by NASCAR, who has had a track record of basically just throwing cautions like crazy specifically to make it more exciting. Um, and I mean, I, I wouldn't say that there's like confirmed cases and they've and you know, like there was a NASCAR on, you know, on the radio going, We're, we will throw a caution for excitement. But um, there's been enough data, I think, in NASCAR to show that that's, that's been done enough. So they draw that criticism in general, and I think it doesn't help when some of those, some of these are just like, especially looking at it from one from the first day and then looking at the next day, you're like, okay, well, some of these incidents are too similar 
to be handled that that much differently. Like if mm. the WC was able to do this and they're supposed to be going to grade one tracks constantly, right? They they don't need to, but you know, you're, you're almost kind of the assumption that they're they're going they're big on safety for them to take what I would look at as more lax protocols, you know, from a hot track perspective. And again, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on this from a marshaling perspective. Um, where's the preference stand on this? I mean, it, 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 it seems like everybody is for safety. Don't exit the vehicle until, until safety guys are there. Cause you don't know if a car's going to hit you. Right. Yeah. You know, well, this, 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 and this, we have to throw a safety car because a car's offline, you know, in a non part where if somebody spins and they touch you, okay, I guess. But like, I, I, I so where is, is IMSA just as safe as WC? I mean, are, are these two viable things that we're, debating i mean this is where it's confusing yeah yeah that's a very interesting question um to like because for a lot of the a lot of people listening they'd probably focus on the the racing aspect of it but yeah there there is a safety aspect of it as well and honestly i think that in in my experience you want to do as minimal amount of uh, like hot track workers you can get away with, right? You want to put as minimal amount of people in the firing line of a potential incident as you can. Um, but there has to be some sort of provision for getting things done to minimize the interruption of the racing as well. Um, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting point there. I Look, I think that imps are a bit too overblown, um, but that's just that's just my opinion. I think that for a lot of cases, a full course yellow, the way that the um, that the WC does it is the correct answer, even for uh, even for more major incidents. Um, so I even think that for the for the Jonathan Bomarito incident, they uh, the WC would have recovered that under full course yellow, not under safety car. Um, Yes. Yeah. That, that's um, just. I think the BMW incident to the GTD BM. No, that was the. Or no, I think it was GTD BMW, or, or was it GTD Lexus? The final safety car for IMSA was exit T three right side. So technically, if somebody gassed it, lost their ability to steer, they could have understeered off the track and plowed right behind them, doing one hundred and thirty, I guess. So. Right. I mean, for me, that that would for WC, that's a, that's that would, from my experience, would immediately trigger a slow zone in that area. So sector one would be under slow zone so that everybody would slow down to 60 kilometers, which to me on track seems totally appropriate and seems that's, safe that's, enough for me to have a snatch tractor come out yeah, and recover the vehicle. That, that's because 60 kilometers is like traffic speed where well, at least it is where I'm from. So, right. you know, it's like walking next to a highway or walking next to a main road like you can do that safely pretty much right the, the, so it, it's it's a direction it's just it's yeah, a direction it's a of where what they want the show to go mm. uh, and i think that's that's the the word there you just hit on the word it's the show so imsa is about sports entertainment i think as as opposed to the purity of endurance racing which i think is more what the wc and the aco focus on maybe not as much as like creventic or adac yeah, with the bln completely agree completely agree yeah but imsa is about the show um to be honest i think the imsa caution proceed like the actual procedure 
of I, I i don't mind you know throwing the cautions out for for stuff like that but the way that they go about you know having to go through the pits and it turns a you know car off in the runoff that needs to be recovered into a 20 minute ordeal with five laps under safety car it just that is what ticks me off about it um right it feels a bit like it feels a bit like the IMSA race control is a bit of a helicopter parent. It's like, oh no, you've got to do this in this order, and you, no, we can't, can't. You gotta, you gotta, you know, take away all the risk, and that, like that would be fine if there wasn't instances where IMSA corner workers have been put in the direct firing line of danger with these caution procedures. Like I remember a Sebring race a few years ago when they were recovering the car, uh, recovering a car on a, uh, a flat toe. So just towing it back around to the, the pits and they decided to release the, the wave around about a corner behind the, the tow vehicle. And so you had these cars that were accelerating up to speed to get back to the end of the, the, the line almost running into the the tow vehicle and the you know the dead car because um because they were you know not smart about where they were releasing the cars from and i remember watching it and going someone's going to have an accident here and it was very lucky that the tow vehicle realized what was happening and pulled off the circuit but like and and of course uh, there was an incident a few years ago at uh, at Belo Detroit um where the the race wasn't neutralized because it was the last lap and then the corner workers have gone out to to attend to a car and then they they got hit by a car that was uh that had just crossed the finish line and this is like I wouldn't be so mad about IMSA's caution procedures if there wasn't a the pit procedure which just takes forever and b instances where marshals have been put in the firing line because you don't see that in WEC you don't see that with the officiating in ACO spec series. I don't think I've ever heard of a marshal or a corner worker or a recovery team ending up in a dangerous position where they have been hit or where they have been injured because it doesn't happen. And it, that's just, it's the prerogative of the series. And you're you're 100% right. And I think too, the if you think about uh, what the WC has done in the last five years, right? So it's the slow zones, the local yellow. Uh, I mean, we just we 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 were down to local yellows, and then we had two waving yellows for <laughs> safety car. Mm. Essentially, what five six years ago. So the 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 activation of slow zones, full course yellows, you know, all that stuff. It's definitely complicated. Um, it definitely had some teething issues to it, but I mean, everything works pretty well now. Everything uh, has. Uh, you know, is works well enough that we haven't really had any problems. The, the biggest problem we had was 2015 when, uh, uh, what is it, heading into Indianapolis where the uh, Audi wasn't yeah. ready to check up for the slow zone and crashed essentially. Yeah, yeah. So that was the biggest accident we had with that. With WC, um, my yeah. Point, right. My point is, is that IMSA doesn't have to do anything even nearly as complicated with that. They can make two different, like, full course yellow procedures. One is a fast one, one's a slow one, one's, one locks the pit lane for anything other than just some basic safety. The other one is a full set procedure. And you just get into certain areas where it's like, you can still make judgment calls, but then at least now you have judgment calls on like three different sets of scenarios, not one or, or one scenario that basically has to fit everything. Yeah. So when you have one car, that's clearly not going to really do anything wrong other than, well, they're just, oh, poor them. They're going to sit there for the last 10 minutes of a 12 hour race because their car broke. 
okay, well, I'm not here to watch them so get aided. You know what would happen if that was that happened in Australia? If that happened at a supercars race? No. Uh, this is going to be me talking from my personal experience. They'd get us to put a yellow flag out for two laps and then withdraw it. So they'd, they'd, have, <laughs> they'd have the warning flag there saying there is a car off in the runoff. They'd put it out for two laps so that way you wouldn't be able to pass and that every driver would be aware that there's a car off in the runoff and then they'd withdraw it. And you'd just have the last five or six minutes without any caution at all. In that, And that would only be that specific sector. There would not be a... a halt of the race procedure for a car that deep in the runoff and we like i had that happen to me at the adelaide 500 we had a car deep in the runoff the the driver exited the car we were instructed to put the the yellow flags out we did and then a a lap or two later they were like okay we draw the yellow flags and we're like cool and (laughs) and and that's just how it was that's just the way it's gonna be Little I, I, right, and, that, and I, the, my final point is that I mean I don't know if if we just randomly stumbled on this conversation by accident, but I mean should should this conversation be had by by these governing bodies to come up with something that that makes sense? And I mean even in in, in these arguments, I mean no, none of this is being brought up in terms of how IMSA you know affects the overall aspect of the races by oh, way of safety does. cars. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, like the fact the fact that you have cars coming back from many laps down consistently in these longer races absolutely does and i there is something to be said about the uh, we we use this term pretty loosely the purity of endurance racing like the entire point of endurance racing is goal one get to the finish goal two be on the lead lap whereas in imsa it's just like you can just get laps back for free and it does feel a little cheap and then that's the the reason why i say you know does the safety car rules make the green flag periods boring because you just know that if anyone runs into trouble they can get lapped back and it's just like well all you have to do is just keep getting your laps back and then you'll be on the lead lap and it will be fine i mean so it's not as easy now to do it and so but again if if this was a nascar event right so but it's not nascar and, and, Right, and that, that's the thing is that like I have to keep for a lot of the Americans, and especially like some of them that, I'm, and again, two of you people I know are, are like know that I'm talking directly to you about this because I've had conversations about it. But it's just like it's not, it's not the same thing. So if you have a safety car, and fine, you are halfway through your stint, the everybody else gets to pit and you don't. You go all the way around to the other side of it. This isn't like NASCAR where it's basically like you basically have ten seconds to get to the other side of the track. Before we go back to green, no, you get time to get all the way back, get all the way back to the end of the snake, rejoin there. So, by the way, you get your lap back. Oh, and by the way, we probably might not have another safety car for three hours. So, if you want to do any strategy, you have enough time to either A, come up with a strategy, or B, just fall back on your plan B strategy. Hmm. So, now not only do you have your lap back, now you might even be in an advantage because you're off sequence pitting from everybody else. And what is it going to matter if you don't have a safety car, which Nine times out of ten, you don't normally get, even in some of these M surrounds, especially at Sebring the last two years. So it is a huge advantage, even though, and, and again, dude, three or four years ago it was terrible because, I mean, you would have every the class six, would basically. Si- yeah, the six hours take, and 12 minutes of Sebring. Yeah, they would get they would get their lap back and then they would be able to pit. And you're like, what? 
you 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 got it for free for it was literally like a NASCAR lucky dog, which made no sense. This is still bad. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still it's still a huge advantage, and it, it does it it is kind of nonsensical from an endurance standpoint if you're going to throw this many safety cars. Mm. I will I will do. say I will say that since the PC class has been removed, it has gotten a lot better because the PC cars were basically rolling cautions. They so, were, yeah. So oh, at yeah. least at least that has made things a bit better, um, <laughs> just a little bit. Only just, only just. Um, but yeah, it does. It, it, the IMSA race felt flat for me because it was just like, okay, well, at some point there's going to be a caution for no reason, and everyone's just going to get back a lap, and then it'll just will go again. And it wasn't, yeah, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like good. That's that's that like uh, in simplest terms, like it just didn't feel good to watch. Th- that it was manufactured. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, yeah, and you just have to accept it if you're, you know. But uh, that's that's why I think it was is good that we're having this conversation now because I, I that just was not this is not a topic of conversation, which I'm gonna definitely make it when we do discuss them stuff in the future. Just like, look, guys, this is we're operating a different set of yeah. of standards, and yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's, that's all I got to yeah. say about that. Yeah. One last thing I want to mention about the IMSA race is that we had, what, eight cars on the lead lap in GTD? I barely saw any of the GTD race. IMSA. I didn't even know the race. IMSA, give us more GTD screen time. It is easily the most exciting class out of all, uh, except for maybe GTLM. But it's definitely, definitely way more exciting than some of the prototype racing. Why aren't we seeing more of the GTD class on the screen? Because damn, like the fact that we had what we've got eight cars in the lead lap, six different manufacturers out of those eight cars. I barely saw any of them. There was just yeah. There needs to be. I, I feel like IMSA needs to do better with the the broadcasting of the uh, the actual. That was racing. mentioned too. That was mentioned a lot too. Yeah. Uh, what from people that I was talking to was that the direction of the race itself was uh, a lot worse for IMSA than it was for WC. WC at least was focusing on battles and GTE AM and pros. They were, you know, as, as much comical as the duels are on TV, like that they're at least showing us the duels. Mm. Uh, and we're, we're, we're seeing them on, on track as they're battling and not in replays or just like, Oh look, they overtook there's, you know, yeah. uh, on, uh, on the uh, live timing and scoring. So, uh, yeah, from that aspect, that, yeah, that was way I, better. I, yeah. I've got to say, I can't watch an IMSA race without live timing because I feel like I miss so much in the GTD class. I remember, I think it was Watkins Glen last year or two years ago where I, the last 20 or so laps, there was a gap of less than half a second between the top three and GTD and they never mentioned it. And I was only, the only reason I was aware of it was because of the live live timing and scoring. And I feel like, I feel like for someone like me, okay, you can get away with that because I'm so far entrenched in sports cars that I know that that's how I need to watch the races. But if you've got someone new to the series who's not going to know about you know how to follow live timing and that sort of stuff and you're trying to say this is an exciting product because we have four different races on track at the same time and you don't show one of them and this isn't this is again not even worrying about p2 which had two cars and was just a bit of a joke like the gtd class could be its own race it had a grid of 17 cars 
Like, okay, maybe for Sebring that's a bit a bit small, but that's literally half the 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 entry of the entire race. Like, and you're not showing the, the battles that are going on with it. I th- I feel like that needs to, that needs to step up, and I hope it does for the, some of the shorter races. But on the other hand, these longer races, you have the luxury of having that much time to show everything, and yet it wasn't being shown. I don't know. I feel like this is just like airing all of the IMSA dirty laundry at once. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's good therapy um, mm. because I, because I mean, re- realistically, we're you know we're big uh, on WC fans, and it's just been it's not it's not been great dealing with IMSA fans uh, mm. for the last five six months, and for all of the you know annoyances that you know I'm sure. Uh, I I give people and they give me back. I just I didn't get. I, I I didn't really get that huge feeling of yeah that dude. This is such a great product. I need to puff my chest out and you know and crap on the French and crap on ACO, crap on FA. You know, say that Toyota pays off uh, WC to win and that you know WC is just taking money under the table to, to you know to try to help Toyota. Blah blah. It's like all of that, like. All of that comes from this like hockey attitude that this is like the best series that you could possibly watch. And all I got from Sebring was like this has just as many flaws as I feel like the WC has. The only problem is, is that there's just more cars in the top class that you know, and there's more there's other storylines that soak up so much of the drama that you don't get to talk about like what's going on kind of behind the scenes. The only positive that I can really say is that I mean the DPI category itself is is a positive. Um, from what we've heard from rumors, it should continue to be good. Whenever Ford joins, that will help it. But beyond that, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, yes, I'm sm- sit back and smell the roses, right? This is yeah. going to be a great year for IMSA. It's going to be good. They're going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, but I, I just don't think it's, it's as there's, it's a, it's as big of a field of roses as everybody who has been crapping on the WC touts it. Yeah. And I just, Sebring definitely didn't, uh, didn't shake that for me. It reinforced. So, mm. and like we are being a bit doom and gloom at the moment, and you know, sorry, I guess. Um, it is just <laughs> it, it, it is just a little a little frustrating sometimes the way that sports cars are at the moment, and like. I mean, I mean, it's, I'm not gonna, it's a few lean years, man. It's yeah. just lean. Yeah, I mean, I'm it not, really is. I'm, and I'm not going to pretend to have the answers. I'm not going to pretend to know the direction. Um, I just, I just want to watch good racing, and the racing that I enjoy most is is sports cars. So I want to watch some good sports cars. But it's, yeah, that's that's where I'm at at the moment, at least, and that's where I'm at with WC, and that's where I'm at with IMSA. So, yeah, I guess that's our wrap up of Sebring. Um, there you go. That yeah. was what we have learned in a. Not very short, contrite segment. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward now, though, uh, the next IMSA race is Long Beach uh, in two weekends' time, so the 13th of April. The next WC race is heading towards the beginning of May, which is the spa Francorchamps round, so hopefully we just get... Well, it'll be interesting to see how far we've come in a year. I'll put it that way. But in more exciting news, uh, we have... The prologue for the uh, for the ELMS this weekend, and then the first round for the ELMS next weekend on the fourteenth of April. On top of that, we have the start of the Blank Pain Endurance Series on the thirteenth of April as well. So we are swinging in properly into the endurance sports car season, which is fantastic. Now, 
how excited are you for elms because i am like mouth-wateringly excited for elms right i mean it from whatever ever all the hype has been around uh the kind of slightly altered schedule the retooling of some stalwarts and elms with new faces as well this should be pretty exciting to see uh and especially from pace that we've seen in p2 and wc I, I just don't think that there is going to be this huge change of, you know, the guard or there's, you know, there's going to be somebody running out uh, out ahead of this. It should be really, really, really competitive. It's going to be awesome. So. I love, I do love, I do love a good ELMS race because it is like just, it's just so many prototypes. There's like 35 prototypes in ELMS. Like how, what could Not you enough ask? Delaris. Huh? Not enough Delaris. Yeah, this is true. Not enough Delaris. Yeah, they, they reduced some Delara counts. I think there's a there might be one more Liger and there might we'll, be one or two Delaris this year. We'll talk we'll talk about that and the reasons why that is uh in the future. Um we do have uh an episode planned for either later this week or early next week, probably early next week, on uh the Le Mans entry list. Uh, so we'll have a, a bit of a deep dive into where all the cars have come from, where where are they going, and why they've been invited for Le Mans. Um, also, this month, hopefully before the first round of the season, we'll do a preview of the ELMS, uh, which I feel like you are going to be going to be running. So that- yeah, I'll be hosting that. Yep. Nice. Um, and that'll go along with the first edition of GT3 quarterly for the year. So we'll have Chris and Chris back in the booth talking all the gt3 action because we've also just had the california eight hours which is the first second round of the intercontinental gt cup challenge yes. one of those yep um one of them uh which saw some morning to be honest i wasn't a huge uh that car count bad yeah. and they need to change the schedule timing yeah. it's just yeah. it's not good yeah that's that's no, gonna be that's a Yep. I had a great time watching sports cars at Monterey for eight hours, guys. It was <laughs> great. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thank you for being patient with us. Life life is always super very busy. Thank you very much, Cookie. I hope you had an awesome weekend at Sebring, regardless of what we thought about the racing. But yeah. I did. I did. Mike is uh, is working me up to get up to New York for Watkins Glen in June. So I might be uh, at a track. My next outing at a track will be, I believe, at the at the Glen. So I'll, nice, you're gonna do the he's selling me on cheap tickets, and that's kind of my my buy in. So nice. I'll see you guys at the track then. Hell yes, that's gonna be awesome. We'll be out, we're going to more. Look at us, we're all going to more tracks. We're we're becoming a, a tr- traveling traveling podcast show. Now see see when it, we'll know we've made it when. The ticket prices stop being retail on some of that stuff. You know? yeah. <laughs> we get but, media, hey, media you know, prices. Look, look, we're help, look, I'm helping the series out. As much, as, as much doom and gloom as you're given, man, I'm, I'm, I'm here injecting some cash flow. Yeah, those, I, uh, I, I bet I bet IMSA is, is teetering on the edge of your, what, 50 bucks price of admission. Dude, they got to file on me, I'm sure. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, any other final comments you want to say before we sign off? Uh, no, it was glad to see my boys, uh, my boys in black, white, and red in person. Uh, it was good to see them, uh, take a win, uh, first time ever. Got to fly my flags, act like a crazy, crazy Japanese Toyota fan, uh, you know, on American soil. So that was, that was great. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I love being around the, uh, the atmosphere of the, the race weekend was awesome. And, uh, again, yeah, having WC there, seeing them again, first time in five years was awesome and 
as my, my team was there, man. So could have had a better weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm real excited to see him next year. So fantastic. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for the next group of races. That next weekend is going to be friggin' awesome. Bye, Frank Rashad, boy. Yeah, boy. And on that note, thank you very much, Cookie. Thank you, everyone. Peace out. <laughs> Kazoo. Damn, DHH. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yep, I had an interruption. Hold on. That's yeah, right. I did. Uh, That's crap. right. What, what were you asking me? Um, talking about uh, LMP2 and David Denimar Hansen coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he was, he was dope. <laughs> Insightful.